It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 191. Uh, we played this before, but we're going to play it again since some of you asked. This is Hedgehoppers Anonymous. It's Good News Week. Someone's dropped a bomb somewhere, contaminating atmosphere and blackening the sky. It's Good News Week. Someone found a way to give the rotting dead a will to live, go on and never die. Have you heard the news? What did it say? Who's won that race? What's the weather like today? What's the weather like today? It's good news week. Lots of blood in Asia now. They butchered off the sacred cow. They got a lot to eat. It's good news week. Doctors finding many ways of wrapping brains in metal trays to keep us from the heat. To keep us from the heat. To keep us from the heat. Good news week. It's bad news week. Basically, the first few items I'm going to do, there's just an overwhelming amount of bad news. And I want you to hang on. I, I, I do want us to be aware of the bad news. But that's where the good news comes in as well. So we're going to begin with uh, a song from an Australian woman. And I think it's a particularly appropriate song for this week. This is Helen Reddy. I am woman. I am woman. Watch me run. See me standing toe to toe as I spread my loving arms across the land. But I'm still in Rio with such a long, long way to go until I make my brother understand. Hear me roar, the number in numbers too big to ignore. I've been down there on the floor, no one's ever gonna keep me down again. I'm woman, watch me grow, see me standing toe to toe as I spread my loving arms across the land, but I'm still an embryo with a long way to go until I make my brother understand. Well, I believe that women are under attack as never before. And uh, I am going to do a special on the whole transgender thing because I do think it is so important. But I could not leave this out this week. This is Supreme Court nominee Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. Apologies if I haven't pronounced her first name correctly, but listen to this. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Now, that, that's incredible, isn't it? That is absolutely incredible. Here is a woman who is being appointed because she is a woman and because of her skin colour. 
And doubtless she has the qualifications as well. But the President Biden announced that's why he was appointing her. If she, if she was a man, she would not be appointed. And if she was white, she would not be appointed. But she's being uh, appointed because she's a woman. She's going to be ruling on women's rights. And she cannot say what a woman is because she's not a biologist. Stop and think how, how far down the rabbit hole we've gone because of that. She also answered, and if, this, if, if, if she was being honest, this is really bad, she, because it shows a level of ignorance. She also answered when asked by Senator Lindsey Graham if an unborn child can feel pain at 20 weeks gestation. I don't know. Now, she must know she's going to have to rule on things like this. I cannot believe that she does not know the science. The modern, peer-reviewed science. Up until about 2010, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists uh, denied that you could get fetal pain prior to the last few weeks. But then um, there's a man called Dr. Derbyshire who changed his long-held position in 2020. He published a peer-reviewed paper in BMJ's in the BMJ's Journal of Medical Ethics in which he stated that the evidence and a balanced reading of that evidence point towards an immediate and unreflective pain experience mediated by the developing function of the nervous system from as early as 12 weeks. Judge Jackson is just wrong. And the science tells us that newborns feel pain at 20 weeks, before 20 weeks, probably at 12 weeks. Well, let's stay in America. And um, this woman died this week. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in Hiroshima. And... and you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. That is Madeleine Albright, former Secretary of State. And that particular interview it was just was an infamous one. She seemed to acknowledge that half a million children had died in Iraq and basically indicated that nonetheless it was still worth it. Now, we're in the situation with Ukraine, which I'm just going to comment on in a moment. But... My understanding is the figures we have at the moment, two to 3,000 civilians, probably more, have died uh, and a couple of hundred of children, which is awful. But half a million children died. You could perhaps justify it, although I find it very difficult to see how. Um, But you cannot then claim that Russians are committing, the Russians are committing war crimes because they're bombing civilians when your own policies resulted in the deaths of half a million children. And I know there's a, it's, it's not as simple as that, but then people need to stop presenting the world in such simplistic terms. There is no question that our actions in Iraq, and maybe they were justified, I personally don't think so, but resulted in that horrendous death rate. Well, let's not forget that even as we, as you listen to this, even as I talk, there are people dying in Ukraine and it possibly could get even a lot worse. It seems as though the Ukrainians have decided that um, the port city of Malipur is 
has to be sacrificed in some ways, and not by uh, resigning, but just by making the Russians pay an enormous price to actually take it over. I just, again, I find the whole thing so depressing. And I just want to look at another couple of aspects that we haven't looked at before. If you go to previous podcasts, you'll see quite a few things. Firstly, what madness causes people who have nothing to do with it to go and fight in Ukraine? So a woman called Danica Joyzdotir from Western Australia has gone to fight in Ukraine. She's leaving behind a young child and her husband who called her trip stupid and selfish. Uh, She defied government warnings. She has no family connection to Ukraine. She said she couldn't just watch the war unfold from afar. Um, She signed up to join the Foreign Legion. It... It beggars belief to me that people can be, I I think, stupid and selfish. Her husband's comments are absolutely spot on. And there's another piece about these these volunteers, uh, what they call the Reddit volunteers. Um, There's an incident where cell phone signals were picked up by Russian intelligence who used these signals to target a training centre. You know, all these volunteers getting themselves on Reddit or Facebook or, or Instagram or whatever. And 35 of them were killed because they were using their phones. A missile was sent in there. Broadcasting the fact that you are in a war zone. The other nonsense we've mentioned is just the anti-Russian hatred, which is utterly ridiculous. Uh, Daniel Medayev could be banned from Wimbledon if he doesn't renounce Putin. And then, you know, let me give you some personal stuff, because there are those of you who contact me, you know, who are Serbian or Russian, and you have a different perspective. And... There are those who contact who are Russian and who oppose what your president is doing. And there are those of you who are Ukrainian who are very strongly for your president and others who are not so sure. And uh, I think of two people in the past couple of weeks. Well, one in particular, an an Armenian gentleman who asked him what he thought of the war and his his reaction was the same as mine. Oh, it's terrible. It's awful. Um, And he said the Russians are going to want us Armenians to fight on their side. And then he said... I I just think all this is wrong, but the Ukrainians are no angels either. And I said, why is that? And he said, when our Azerbaijanis were attacking the Armenians, basically the Azerbaijanis won and lots of Armenians were killed, uh, the Ukrainians gave them drones. So the the so-called Christian Ukrainians gave these drones to the Muslim Azerbaijanis to kill the Christian Armenians. Oh, Lord have mercy. And then... One of the big pluses of Ukraine has been that it's been saying, unlike Russia, it's going to be a Western liberal democracy. Well, Vladimir Zelensky has banned 11 opposition parties, including the party platform for life, which holds 44 seats in the 450-member Ukrainian party. He's also suspended all private TV stations, in fact, he's banned them, merged them all into a single state-run TV channel. So getting rid of your political opposition and getting rid of media that you don't control, not exactly the actions of a liberal democracy. Now, it could be. It could be. You could argue that this is necessary in war. But I wonder. And another thing from Ukraine. This is uh, David Friedberg. The first important point to note is about 15% of the world's calories come from wheat. 
About a third of that wheat comes from Russia, Ukraine. Russia has banned export of wheat. And um, the, the wheat spring planting season is like now, this week. Um, and there's not a lot of planting going on. You know, a lot of commodity folks are in the field trying to figure out who's actually going to go to field and plant. But um, no one's making, you know, the concerted effort that they normally would under normal circumstances. So not only is the current wheat supply in Russia, Ukraine blocked up and cannot make its way to countries like Africa or countries in Africa and elsewhere, but the future planting season um, is now significantly at risk. And again, that's 15% of global calories. And I just to take a step back, the whole planet Earth operates on a 90-day food supply. So um, once we stop making food, humans run out of food in 90 days. So another way to think about that is our food supply excess, our capacity um, uh, in excess is about 25% of our global production. So if our global production goes down by 12%, we've lost half of our global food supply. And that's not just linearly across all nations. What happens is the most vulnerable nations lose their food supply first, and the richer nations buy that food supply. And so you very quickly see a bifurcation happen when you have a shortage in a food supply like this of just a few points, where suddenly famine is a real risk. And we already have about 800 million people on Earth that are subsisting on below 1,200 calories a day. So this very quickly tips the bucket in a significant way in a number of countries that's going to be really awful. Now, this, for me, is a big story that we need to be aware of, and it's the impact of this war on food supplies throughout the world. Now, you heard what he had to say. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has also warned about this. There are at least 50 countries which rely on Russia and Ukraine for 30% or more of their wheat su supply, especially, especially countries like Egypt and Lebanon. Now, if, if the farmers don't get to plant... And then the, cri the crisis gets worse because potassium uh, fertilizer, which Ukraine and Russia are major exporters, that's, that's, the prices of that has really shot up. And Russia has also limited its exports of barley, rye, wheat, maize, grain, mixed grain, sugar and brown sugar because of economic sanctions placed on it by Western nations. And what will happen is exactly what David, the previous speaker, David Freeberg said. And that is that the rich countries will buy up food and there will be famine and starvation in the poor countries because of our policies. Those, and it so depresses me that Christians are going, hey, gung-ho, let's go to war, we've got to fight. And I'm saying, yeah, but at what price and at what cost? Right, we now come to the spring statement. I now call the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak. I heard the, the UK budget statement, um, breathtaking, but this is the breathtaking thing that got me. £100 million per year in interest payments is, is what we pay for all this money that we have borrowed. Australia has a trillion dollar debt. £100 billion per year of taxpayers' money in interest alone. It doesn't go to buy hospitals. It doesn't go to pay for the army. It doesn't go for the NHS. It just goes to pay the interest. Wow. We are, we're heading for so much trouble. I said, I told you there's bad news. Um, and here's Boris Johnson. Let, listen, let's listen to him talking. This is a turning point for the world. And it's a moment of choice. It's a choice between freedom and oppression. And I know there are some 
around the world, even in some Western governments who invoke what they call realpolitik and who say that we're better off making accommodations with tyranny. I have to say I believe they are profoundly wrong. And that to try to renormalize relations with Putin after this, as we did in 2014, would be to make exactly the same mistake again. And, and, that is why, and that is why Putin must fail. And I know that it's the instinct of the people of this country like the people of Ukraine, to choose freedom every time. I can give you a couple of famous recent examples. When the British people voted for Brexit in such large numbers, I don't believe it was because they were remotely hostile to, to foreigners. It's because they wanted to be free, to do things differently and for this country to be able to run itself. Now, this, is, this little speech was considered to be a blunder. There are aspects of it I disagree. He said, for example, we don't make accommodation with tyranny just after visiting Saudi Arabia. And we do make accommodation with tyranny. Let's not pretend. We make accommodation with China. The British people do not choose freedom all the time. But what about this don't mention the war type stuff? There's a good article by Fraser Myers and Spiked Online, which I, I must admit, when I first heard the way that the media reported this and the short clip that you just heard, I thought, Boris, you're an idiot. What are you doing? And then I, I thought about it some more and I, and I read this article and some other stuff and I thought, actually, he actually does have a point. Um, it's a bit crass. And as a direct comparison, I don't think it works. Yet, yet, I have read plenty, as Fraser Meyer points out, um, the new statesman told us that the war in Ukraine invalidates the referendum. The Financial Times says it marks an end to Brexit illusions. Politico says it blows up Brexit. And The Guardian says it, reason, it reinforces the raison d'etre of the EU. So in other words, all these Remainer politicians are quite happy to make analogies and connections. But the minute Boris does, Boris Johnson does, people just jump on him. Oh, there's so much hypocrisy. All right, uh, we'll come on to COVID just very briefly. Um, here, we're, we're back up to very large numbers of cases, 25,000 a week. Um, thankfully, as yet, I haven't had it, but I'm pretty sure I will get it at some point. Uh, so many have. Um, the situation in Hong Kong and China is pretty serious. And uh, I just read that they're going to continue mass in Scottish schools. But I also read this. This was just bizarre. It was seriously considered by the Scottish government, it was proposed in a document that they were looking at, that uh, ordering men and women to go out on alternate days was proposed as a way to maintain social distancing. <laughs> I just think, oh, if you want to go out, just self-identify as the opposite sex of what you are. I, you know, honestly, the world did go mad with that.
Gary McKenzie's song, of course. Are you going to San Francisco? Be sure to wear some flowers in your hair and you're going to meet some gentle people there. That image of California as the laid-back, techie place, mega-rich, liberal, progressive, and so on. California is getting in a real mess. And I know there are a few of you from California who listen to this, so you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. But Gavin Newsom, the progressive governor commenting on a photo that has gone viral which shows railway tracks covered with thousands of emptied Amazon packages says, this looks, what's going on here? This looks like a third world country. Now, the litter problem caused by systematic robbery with criminal groups pilfering packages, ripping them open and running off with the most valuable goods from a cargo train that had derailed just before his visit. And here comes Newson. Uh, you know, he's cool. Jeans, t-shirt, cloth mask outside. Um, yeah, bizarre. The homelessness situation in California is bizarre. The, it is terrible, actually. The, the energy situation is terrible. You know, a lot of people who kind of vote, voted for it, they're getting out, of the, getting out of the country. You know, you have all the progressive politics you want unless you actually have to live with them. And then also in the US, and I do think again that this is important, just because what it says about the media, the Hunter Biden laptop case. Now, the Hunter Biden laptop case is that during the election, it was alleged that Hunter Biden, they'd found a laptop that belonged to Hunter Biden, which without question proved that he'd been involved in shady dealings, particularly in Ukraine, on the basis of his father's connections. This was dismissed by most of the media, New York Times, Facebook, Twitter, and others as being false information. Fact checkers said it was wrong. The New York Times this week finally agreed that in actual fact it was it was right, although it no longer matters now. Now they can say that. As I said, there's a lot of bad news. There's corruption. There's war. There's disease. There's the threat of famine. And then... There's this from Scotland. Hi, my name is Sam Carlin, also known as Cherry West. The thing that inspired me most to do drag is when I was on holiday, um, I went to this bar and seen local drag queens, um, and I was with my whole family, and it just, it just really inspired me because there was lots of comedians and there was lots of sequin outfits, and I was like, I want, I want to do that. So I have been singing and dancing since I was six years old. I, I just found a love for performing and seeing people making them all laugh. Um, I was in a boy band when I was 12 years old um, and I feel like coming out of that, that gave me a lot of confidence um, and then I started drag and found this Instagram competition where it had like over 200 people who entered and luckily I got through and we had to make lots of outfits out of bin bags, I thought it was actually cool. Um, so yeah, and I won it and it was a big cash prize so I, was, I feel like that really helped give me more motivation to do drag um, and that's why I'm here today. That is the teenage drag queen, Cherry West, uh, a young man now aged 15 called Sam, who began doing a drag act when he was 13 and had been involved in it from earlier. And the BBC reporting this. Now, what gets me this? BBC Scotland, uh, I think it was Mornings with Kay Adams. It's on the BBC website, which I'll put a link to, the, the, the article as well. They praise this as a good thing. So this is basically a child doing sexualized performances. I mean, oh, it's a good laugh, isn't it? 
Ah, oh, it's just it helps them with this confidence. No. This this going on in schools and through children is what we call grooming. I feel really, really sorry for the kid. But the fact that the BBC and our society as a whole encourages this and thinks it's great also says a great deal about our culture. All right, I think that is enough bad news. I've got to give you a couple of bits of good news and then the good news. The South Australian election, the new Premier Malinowskis, Labour Premier, been elected overturning the Liberal. And, you know, the Liberal guy was competent in terms of the economy. Uh, the Labour guy ran a, a, a good campaign in some ways. But, you know, I really do think the reason that the Liberals lost is because they went woke. Liberal, by the way, for those of you who don't live in Australia, doesn't mean liberal. It means conservative, or in the US it's the equivalent of Republican. There's a man called Tom Kenyon who ran for a spot in the Legislative Council and who restarted the Family First Party. And their primary goal was to unseat bad members in the lower house. And they were basically getting the Christian vote. And it showed that they got about 5 to 10% of the vote to move and that Peter Malinowskis, who's actually, he's Labour, but he's socially conservative. He's got a, what's described, a friendly underlying worldview for conservatives. The Liberals, on the other hand, Stephen Marshall, the Premier, the Deputy Premier, Vicky Chapman, and four of four Liberals who uh, all voted, can you believe this? They voted for abortion on demand, up to birth. It was an absolutely horrific bill. Well, guess what? Four of the six Liberals to lose their seats had a, a vote in favour of abortion to birth. In contrast, three-quarters of the 15 Liberal MPs who voted against the termination of pregnancy bill kept their seats on Sunday. All Labour MPs who voted against abortion will remain in the Parliament. Maybe there's a lesson to learn there. Something else from Australia before we go, this woman. I just couldn't think, there's no right way, there's no wrong way, it's just my way. And this is perfect for me to share it with you, to talk to you about it, um, with my team, my loved ones, that I'll be retiring from tennis. And it's the first time I've actually said it out loud and um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but I'm so happy and I'm so ready and I just know at the moment in my heart for me as a person, this is right. And um, I know I've, I've done this before, um, but in a very different feeling. And I'm so grateful to everything that tennis has given me. It's given me all of my dreams plus more. But I know that the time is right now for, for me to step away and chase other dreams um, and, yeah, and to, to put the rackets down. Now, I'm not sure what, what you make of this. You listen to the whole interview. It's very, very interesting. There are bits of it you could be cynical. But do you know this? I have so much time for Ash Barty. And I actually admire what she's done. Um, she's decided to put her family and other things before being world number one at tennis. I don't think it's selfish at all. I think it's the very opposite. And uh, I wish her all the best. She says she's looking for her dreams. Well... 
you can keep drinking of the waters from this world, but you really won't find satisfaction until you get to come to know Christ. And that is, um, again, a key part of what we're, we're looking at. Uh, Craig Foster, a former footballer, I heard him say on radio here in Australia that equality is the new religion. Nah, it doesn't work. Equality doesn't work without Christ. And I was going to leave it there, but we do. I do have to say something about the other bad news that has come out. It's from the church. Uh, the founder of Hillsong, Brian Houston, has resigned because of uh, moral failings, really. Uh, a couple of inappropriate actions, as it's called, involving two different women, um, involving also drunkenness. Uh, it's a horrible story. I'm not going to go into the detail. But... There's one sense in which the Hillsong Board's statement is good in that it acknowledges they haven't handled it well. But there's another sense in which it's not great at all because he talks about how we can all agree that Brian and Bobby have served God faithfully over many decades. Well, no, they haven't, not if this has been going on. And I think we need to be very, very careful about that. But of course, it's not just Hillsong. There are other churches as well, many other organizations. Let him who thinks they stand beware in case they fall. And please do pray for the Hillsong Church. All right, um, the good news. Let's go to Africa and let's go 1,600 years ago and let's go to St. Augustine who watches as the Roman Empire is being attacked as the city of Rome is going to be taken over and there were Christians who equated the decline of Rome with the decline of the church and Augustine sat down and wrote one of the most amazing books ever it's long but it's worth reading the city of God it's 800 pages it's incredibly profound and influential but what he basically said was this there are two cities they must not be confused the politics of this world the kingdoms of this world must not be confused with the city of God. And whatever happens, the city of God will prevail. All these things we're talking about, famine and war and disease and corruption and hypocrisy, even within the church, none of that, the gates of hell, will not prevail against the church of God. And yes, there may be nuclear war, and yes, there may be more disease, and yes, there there may be so many things. But at the end of the day, the heavens and the earth will be renewed. Christ will redeem his church. That's what I believe. And I know one or two, you every now and then write me and criticize me if I play a Hillsong song. And you, you'd be astonished at me to do so in the current circumstances. But I will. I sing the Psalms of a man who committed adultery and murder. And this Hillsong song is just wonderful. It's the creed set to music. There are a lot of things that we could critique and are wrong about Hillsong. But I do want to thank them for much of what they've done in terms of the songs that they have provided for the church and this one in particular this is what we believe i believe in god our father i believe in christ the son i believe in the holy spirit i do believe that and i believe that christ will return and i believe in heaven and hell and i believe that god is in control of this world not the devil and i believe that the princes of this world can rage and mock and laugh and yet jesus will have the last laugh Jesus will reign, and I believe that Jesus is going to redeem a countless number of people. And we have this good news, and we have to communicate it. So God bless you. 
See you next week. And if you've got any comments or suggestions, please feel free to do so. If you'd like to support us on the Podbean fundraiser, do that. There will be links and so on on the website, theweefly.com. God bless you and see you next week. Our church and our